landscape recovery scheme was announced recently. How will it affect you? Will it do any good? Is it the right way to enhance wildlife protection? The support payments have been so fundamental at maintaining profitability across the whole of the farm landscape. And if you starve that farm landscape of income, uh, even if it is delivering public money for public goods, then it does risk the whole of the remaining farming sector. We'll look at it in detail today with the help of a Lincolnshire farmer, the NFU and the TFA, and we'll hear about the tasty, healthy and educational delights of Farmhouse Breakfast Week. So basically schools are getting involved. They can choose three different activities all related to pork, bread and eggs. We then provide videos of cookery workshops. We've got lots of videos from farmers from across the county. So we've got um, pig producers, we've got poultry farms. And then we provide lesson plans and um, lots of teacher guides and things to support them. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. And Sean Sparling was going to be back with us, but he's lost his voice. I know, Sean Sparling without a voice doesn't seem possible. Get well soon, Sean. Hopefully you'll be back with a voice from the AICC conference next week. Oliver Chapman and Kit Dickinson are here, though, with their reports on the livestock and grain markets. Hello, hope you've had a good week. I'm Steve Orchard. It doesn't look like the situation in the pig sector is getting any better. The National Pig Association has accused the DEFRA secretary, George Eustace, of playing down the problem as the number of reported animals culled due to processor backlogs reached over 30,000 and the support measures announced in October appear to be having little impact. Global food prices reached a 10-year high in 2021, increasing by more than 28%, according to the UN's Food and Agriculture Organisation. However, it's not all good news, as the high prices are expected to ease as production increases to match demand. And as we know, only too well input costs such as feed and fertiliser are rising even faster. The RABI launched two new mental health support services last week after their big farming survey carried out last year identified low levels of mental well-being within the industry. The most common sources of stress recorded were regulation, compliance and inspection, COVID-19, unpredictable weather and the loss of subsidies. New in-person mental health counselling and farming-focused mental health training initiatives are being delivered in partnership with Red Umbrella, a not-for-profit specialist provider of accredited mental health counselling and aftercare support. And there's more information on the RABI website. And, of course, if you need to talk to someone, their helpline is available 24-7 on 0800 188 and rural areas are expected to be hardest hit by the anticipated rise in energy bills from April. This comes from research carried out by the Liberal Democrat Party, which found that median bills are expected to rise by £598 on average, but by more than £700 in rural areas. But we do have some good news. Lincolnshire Agricultural Society have confirmed this week that the Lincolnshire show will go ahead this year after missing the last two as a result of COVID. Good morning to Chief Exec Jane Burrows. Jane, was it a difficult decision to make? No, I think we've been quite positive. I think that we have to move forward. There's there's two years now without the Lincolnshire show. And we did the online show in 2020. And although that was an ex- success, 
we do people do want to meet you know and, and an actual show is really what we wanted to do so we have been planning it for quite a while just stay positive and believe it's going to happen I think that's what we're saying what about additional precautions to put in place against Covid I mean the showgrounds a big site people can socially distance uh, so I'm sure you know we can put whatever is needed in place to make it go ahead is the show going to be as it was before what can we expect to see this time for this show it's as it was before however we are adding new things as we always do we've gone out to the trade exhibitors we haven't gone out to the livestock and equine yet we're looking at doing a display of iconic tractors in the main ring because uh, we thought that normally goes down quite well Obviously, we'll have the Grand Parade, but also because it's, although it's an agricultural show, it's a show that we want to appeal to everybody. We've also booked the Broke FMX motorbike display because people like to see that. And we've also booked the Atkinson Action Packed Horse Show, which is very popular across other shows, but we haven't held it in Lincoln yet. So we've already booked that and have that in place. At the Aviation Zone, we are asking the exhibitors to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee. So whether it's bunting or, or things like that, well, obviously we'll have the cookery demonstrations and the food court and um, and all the exhibitors. Hopefully we've gone out to the exhibitors. We're hoping they're still here and have the appetite to come back as well. So Jane, it really is good news that the show's going ahead this year. How important do you think it is to get some positivity back into farming and country life? I think it's really important to get some positivity back in farming, but I also think it's important to get positive back in the whole community that we can meet and get together. And the Lincolnshire show is a very good way of networking. And it's a way for the farmers also and the agricultural dealers to get together and meet. And I think it's really important. We are social people, aren't we? And that's what we like to do is to meet and talk and and, and go through new ideas. So it's really important. Now, the show is on Wednesday and Thursday, the 22nd and 23rd of June. Where can we find out more information, Jane? Yeah, the tickets is on the website. So it's the lincolnshireshow.co.uk website. And obviously, we'll keep updating that with information. So just watch this space. <laughs> well, as I say, it's excellent news that the show is going ahead this year. Look forward to seeing you on the 22nd and 23rd of June. Thanks for joining us, Jane. Thank you. At the Oxford Farming Conference the other day, DEFRA Secretary George Eustace announced the three tiers to the ELMS scheme of public money for public good. We spoke last week about the Sustainable Farming Initiative and the local Nature Recovery Scheme. This week, the Landscape Recovery Scheme, which seeks to pay farmers for effectively rewilding part of their land. Let's get the views of a Lincolnshire farmer, the Tenant Farmers Association and first the NFU. Tom Bradshaw, you have concerns about the scheme, don't you? What are they? A big concern is that at the moment, the budget appears to be split a third into the sustainable farming incentive, a third into local nature recovery and a third into landscape recovery, which means that we could end up with a third of the budget going to less than 3% of the land. Tom, numbers such as 300,000 hectares being taken out of production use have been banded around. Is that realistic? And what kind of proportion is that of the total? Yeah, it's, it's pretty complex. Look, 300,000 hectares is sort of less than 3% of the farm uh, land in the country. But if, if 3% of the land is going to have a third of the funding targeted at it, then it risks undermining the remaining area of land, the 97%, because the support payments have been so fundamental at, at maintaining profitability across the whole of the farm landscape. And if you starve that farm landscape of income, 
uh, even if it is delivering public money for public goods, then it does risk the whole of the remaining farming sector. We've got trade deals adding extra competition at a time where we've got support being redirected in a fundamentally different way, creating unique pressures on the rural communities and on farming businesses that we haven't seen for, for many decades. Many farmers are saying to me, we're already doing this. We've got margins around the fields. We've got areas set aside, uh, taken out of food production for wildlife. Are we not already doing what's being proposed? Yeah, the, the local nature recovery, which effectively is the middle tier, we hope is designed to replace countryside stewardship. And that is where a lot of farmers genuinely are delivering environmental goods alongside producing food. Yeah, our ambition is for UK food production to be some of the most climate friendly in the world. And to achieve that, we need this public money to underpin truly sustainable food production where it's working and being delivered in harmony with the environment. And if you target it at, at a tiny percentage of the land, then it won't underpin the wider uh, landscape. And it's that bit that we're really worried about. Tom, thank you. Let's bring in Lincolnshire farmer Andrew Ward now. Here at your farm at Lednam, you've done a lot to contribute towards preservation of wildlife. You've got margins, you've got areas set aside for wildlife. Is that a common thing or are you unusual in this? I think possibly the amount of detail and the amount we do for that might be slightly, if you like, unusual. But the amount of farmers that are doing something for wildlife now is colossal. And we're doing a lot of things on our own back, if you like, like the feeding we're doing. That is done on our own back. We don't get paid for that. And someone asked me the other day, how many tonnes of wheat are we actually using in feeding our birds every year? Because we sort of put it out in dribs and drabs, I don't really keep account. But I think it's roughly a five or six tonnes of wheat we use. What sort of percentage of your farm is given over to wildlife? Well, we're In far- other words, out of production. We are farming here around 1,600 acres. I think roughly with all the margins, we've got six and eight metre flower margins around every field. We've got winter bird food plots, some five acre plots, some less. So I think all of those added together are around about 45 acres that we've taken out. So it's not feeding humans, but it's feeding wildlife. So it's about 3%? Yeah, something like that. Thanks, Andrew. Let's talk about the tenanted sector now, because uh, they have particular concerns over the landscape recovery scheme. George Dunn, chief exec of the Tenant Farmers Association, you expressed the other day grave concerns about tenant farmers being unable to access uh, new farm environmental schemes and being pushed out by landlords. What did you mean by that? So, yes, Steve, we have expressed concern about two particular issues. One is being disenfranchised from getting into schemes and one is being dislocated by their landowners. And what I mean by that is we have lots of members who are on the very shortest of farm tenancies under the farm business tenancy regime with average length of term of less than three years and with very restrictive terms which will prevent them from taking part in these new schemes when they are developed without landlords' consent. And we know that that landlord's consent is not often forthcoming from those landlords who want to try and control the environment within which those tenants are operating. So access to those schemes is a problem. But also we're hearing from a lot of our members who are on FBTs, farm business tenancies, that their landlords are saying to them, um, we won't be renewing your leases when they come up at the end of their term because we will want to be taking the land back in hand and using it to to gain access to the new schemes that the government will be producing. So we are worried that people won't be able to get into them, but worse than that, we're worried that people are going to lose land for landlords to have access themselves. 
George, do we actually have surplus land? There is constant talk about eat less meat, go to plant-based. Plant-based food requires more land, surely, rather than less. Yeah, and, and I think there is, a, Steve, there is a, a narrative which has developed over the past few years that eating meat is bad. And I think it's about time that we changed that narrative. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with eating meat, either from a health perspective or from an environmental perspective. The question is, how is that meat produced? And within the UK framework, we do produce red meat in a way which is environmentally friendly, in a way which is animal welfare friendly, in a way which is is very healthy. Um, And rather than uh, uh, displacing meat from our diet, we should be displacing imported meat from our diet because we know that we can rely upon British farmers to produce meat to incredibly high standards and that meat is good for the environment as well as for our health. What do you want to see happen to allay your grave concerns? So I think we want to see three things. Firstly, farm business tenants who, who, as I've said, are on the shortest and most restrictive terms have the same access to the dispute resolution framework that the longer term tenancies being held under the Agricultural Holdings Act have where they are there for a lifetime where the terms aren't so restrictive. So we want tenants to be able to have the opportunity to object to their landlords on reasonable refusal to allow them access to schemes. That's point one. Point two is that we want landlords who have ousted a tenant from their holding in order to get access to the scheme not to be able to have the public money for at least a period of 12 months. And we think that will give sufficient leverage for parties to negotiate. And thirdly, we want longer term farm business tenancies as a whole. And in that way, we will have longer, more sustainable, more resilient farm businesses as a result. Thank you, George. So, Tom Bradshaw, back to you. What does the NFU want to see happen in respect to the Landscape Recovery Scheme? We need to see the impact assessments that DEFRA have done to work out what their vision for the industry looks like for the future. We've regularly asked for them. They haven't been forthcoming. Pressure's building on the department, on DEFRA at the moment, from the Public Accounts Committee, the National Audit Committee, the EFRA Committee. They're all reporting that ELMS isn't prepared, that they're worried about delivery. And we need to see those impact assessments as to what their vision for the country is going to look like for the future, how we're going to underpin that domestic food supply alongside delivering for the environment. And really, until we see that modelling, we're going to have serious concerns that what they're aiming to deliver, it looks like it's high on ambition, but going to be short on delivery unless something changes dramatically. Thank you, Tom Bradshaw, TFA Chief Exec George Dunn and Lincolnshire Farmer Andrew Ward. And if you have a view on the scheme, tweet at Farming Show or email farming at linksfm.co.uk. Farmhouse Breakfast Week is a great opportunity for our children to learn about the journey from farm to fork, enjoy some tasty food and have a bit of fun along the way. It's only a week away and here to tell us about it is Rosie Crust, Education and Development Manager at Lincolnshire Agricultural Society. So yeah, we want to celebrate all the fantastic Lincolnshire producers for breakfast. Normally we invite school children to the Lincolnshire showground but this year, as of last year as well, we're reverting to a virtual breakfast week. So basically schools are getting involved they can choose three different activities all related to pork bread and eggs we then provide videos of cookery workshops we've got lots of videos from farmers from across the county so we've got um, pig producers we've got poultry farms and then we provide lesson plans and 
um, lots of teacher guides and things to support them. So they'll still be doing the activities, but in school. And then in advance, we'll be delivering a resource box with all the ingredients of their chosen three activities so they can recreate them within school. And another thing that we do, we like to connect with the schools at the end of the morning to sort of consolidate their learning and ask any questions. And we also have a panel of experts, pig producers, red tractor ladies there and things. So there's you know questions that they can ask on the experts as well to develop their knowledge. Is it too late for schools to get involved or can they still sign up for this? No, schools can still sign up. It is too late now for the breakfast boxes, but all of the the videos and the lesson plans and all the extra um, supporting learning resources, more than happy for schools to um, get in touch with me and um, share those resources. Are we talking about promoting healthy diet here or Lincolnshire product or a combination of the two? Yes, it's very much a combination um, of the two. So we want to promote... Um, breakfast products grown in the county we're obviously in arable county and um, we've got dairy farmers pig producers egg producers and things so it's all about promoting the wonderful breakfast produce from the county the red tractor um, produce but then also developing um, knowledge and understanding what constitutes a healthy breakfast and it's you know developing their farming knowledge but then also their cooking skills and their cooking knowledge so a bit of both and they see, as you say, cooking demonstrations, get recipes and this yes. kind of thing. From a, a grower point of view or a producer point of view in Lincolnshire, who's involved? So we've got Scamans Eggs, we've got Ladies and Pigs who I work closely with them and then um, Waitrose have kindly provided um, the ingredients from the resource boxes. But then I've got lots, there's about 20 farm videos, so lots of members of the Agricultural Society um, too many to name individually but you know fantastic farm ambassadors who provided videos from their farms can members of the public get involved in this or does it have to go through the school no it is through the school but once the event has happened um on the education page of the lincolnshire showground there will be access to the videos um so you know members of the public can also look at them and then we'll put some of the recipes on our social media um, so families can cook them at home and where can we find out more information about this rosie lincolnshireshowground.co.uk forward slash education All right, Rosie, thank you very much. Good luck. Thank you. Yes, see you soon. Thank you. To the market reports now. Firstly, Livestock with Lauf Livestock Markets, Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another fantastic week here at Louth again last Monday with plenty of quality stock on offer. 12 clean cattle on offer see steers top at 234 pence per kilo and gross £1,395 for first-time fat cattle vendors J&S Brooks of Strubby. Heifers topped at 273 pence per kilo and gross £1,505 for F. Wallace and Son of Biscothorpe. On to the cool cows and over 30 month cattle, which are top for beaver agricultural contractors, hitting a high of 195 pence per kilo and grossing £1,089. Moving to the sheep and starting with the prime hogs, which again saw another strong show with plenty of weight and meat on offer, with 70% of the sheep forward out of spec. An SQQ average of 257 pence per kilo for 620 hogs across the scales with a per head average of 110 pounds. Top spot went to TR and J Fox of Market Raisin at 135 pounds while Mark Smith of Theddlethorpe hit a top for export weight hogs at 302 pence per kilo. Finally the cool use seeing a similar entry forward to the previous week with a similar trade for all goods. JB Copeland and Son of Steeping topping at £134 with an all-in average of £104. Monday the 17th of January is store cattle week with 40 plus cattle already entered in the storing. Entries are still welcome in all sections that's both prime and cool in the cattle and sheep. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market and thank you.
Thanks, Oliver. And reporting on the grain markets, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. Looking at wheat this week, as we have come to expect, the USDA January report did not provide the market with any real clarity. December US stocks of wheat and maize were close to expectations. The US winter wheat area was slightly above the analyst average estimates of 1 million acres above last year, which did appear to contradict the recent data released by the USDA Risk Management Agency, who are responsible for crop insurance, which indicated a 1 million acre decline. Wheat production in Argentina was increased by 500,000 and left unchanged in Australia, which was less than the trade had anticipated. Russian exports were reduced by 1 million metric tonnes to 35 million, which is still 2 to 3 million too high, based on shipments to date and an 8 million tonne quota before the 5th of February. The US dropped their wheat export number to 400,000. Australian logistics are still currently maxed out. Argentina is again suffering from lower water on the Panorama River due to a drought, and they have a quota of 12.5 million, which the USDA saw fit to leave at 13.5 million, which is still too high. The Ukrainian wheat exports are already ahead of their annual target, and they have now switched to what looks like a massive maize export programme. So unless demand falls off the cliff, and there is little sign of that judging by the volume of the import tenders launched since the start of the calendar year, the numbers do not add up. Attention will now turn back to the weather. Argentina, Brazil and Paraguay have been experiencing varying degrees of drought. Argentina and Paraguay appear the worst affected, with crops pollinating in 100 degree plus heatwaves, whilst Brazil has rain in the north and a heat drought in the south. Early maize crop is being marked down by 4 to 5 million metric tonnes by private forecasters. The US winter wheat crop is in a moisture deficit and has endured a torrid time recently due to the hurricane force winds. The longer term forecast does not bode well for the crop development with crop conditions already being well below last year. The market is sensitive to fund money flows and inflation and interest rates as they rise out on the table. Energy pricing volatility with the Brent crude close to $85 a bushel and the geopolitical tensions simmering close to the surface. In the meantime, we all hope that the Omicron virus is something that we can learn to live with so that we can return to some sense of normality. Barley this week, malting barley for old crop. Prices have levelled off and fallen in some areas as maltsters are covered for the Feb-March position with demand moving forward to April, May and June. Despite this, prices and premiums are still at record high levels. Openfield is still looking for some space and has spots left on the export sales. Unfortunately, there are issues with malting barley losing condition on farm, meaning high moisture over 14.5%, infestations and a loss of germination. To avoid rejection and a loss of premium and replacement costs, growers are urged to look at the quality of their malting barley before it is collected. Oilseed rate this week, following some early gains for the markets in the new year, this week we've seen prices easing back. By midweek, the market continued to drift lower following Matif weakness, which wasn't helped by the absence of buyers who were waiting for direction from the new USDA figures. By Thursday, markets looked weakened further following the overnight pressure from Chicago, which focused on the USDA's report, which forecast an all-time high for US production in 2021. There have also been market concerns over all seed rate pricing once the February Matif goes off the board and switches to May, which is currently priced at a €51 Euro discount. Prices this week then, feed wheat X the farm for January 200 to 207, for March 207 to 212, May 208 to 216, and November new crop 180 to 188. Mining wheat premiums are still very high and currently sit at 50 to 53 pounds. 
Feed barley for January 195 to 205, March 200 to 209, May 203 to 211, and November new crop 165 to 172. Malting barley premiums are circa 60 to 65 pounds. Oilseed rate for January 580 to 586, March 585 to 590, May 585 to 590, and November 460 to 470 pounds. Thank you, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A nice, clear, dry winter week by the looks of it, all down to the high pressure that's with us pretty much all week. A light breeze staying mostly in single figures and from the west today, dry with highs around 8 Celsius and down to 3 overnight. Monday and Tuesday are very similar. Light southwesterlies, dry and sunny, up to 7 degrees in the day and down to 2 or 3 overnight. Staying dry and clear, the winds are a little brisker midweek in the teens MPH and gusty from the southwest on Wednesday and turning more northerly on Thursday and that brings colder weather later in the week. Temperatures below freezing on Thursday night, calmer and cold but dry and sunny on Friday. Next week, we'll consider the benefits of including livestock in arable rotation and get an update on the Farm Resilience Programme from Lincolnshire Rural Support Network. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a good week.